Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and today I'm joined in the studio by my beautiful wife, Tracy, and also by the slightly less beautiful Pastor Ross Anderson, although you're pretty good looking, Pastor Ross. Well, that's why I'm doing a podcast (laughs) and not a broadcast. (laughs) That's good. Me too. face for radio. Yep, as do I. All right. So today we're in week three of our series that we're calling Culture Wars, and we're walking through the five-chapter book of 1 Peter. And what we've noticed is there's so much in there about this battle that we have with our culture. Now, today we're going to get to chapter three, but before we get to that, Ross, it might be helpful for you to sort of catch us up on where we've been in the first two chapters of this book. Well, in the first chapter, Peter just outlines the whole idea that trials are part of the Christian life, especially because our identity separates us from the culture around us. And he's talking about how to deal with that. Um, And then in chapter two, coming out of that, we're saying, look, he wants to explore, we have this identity as Christians, and that's going to affect how we interact with the culture around us. Uh, when when the culture is not on our side, so to speak. So he talks about how to relate to people who aren't Christians, how to relate to government authority that might be the source of the of the opposition, and then how to relate to other Christians as well. Yeah, and today, I think today as we get into chapter three, this is going to be a, a maybe more divisive, even in church, even in some churches, even you know, if, for people who are using this to talk to talk about First Peter with their small group this might be one that you have to sort of get ready for, because the question we're going to answer today as we turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 is how do we define family roles, and specifically the relationship between husbands and wives? You know, what we're asking today is do we take our cue from Scripture, or do we take our cue from our culture? Because if it's been a while since you've read 1 Peter chapter 3, right off the bat, you might, depending on your sensibilities, you might be offended with what God's Word says, as opposed to what our culture says. And I think for me, that's why I was excited to be invited to be in on the podcast today, because I just want to encourage, especially the ladies out there, to not panic and just to be careful that as we've been learning about how are we coming to God on his terms or do we come to God on our terms, that we're not infusing things that aren't there or or not being willing to listen to what God's word has to say on something, even if we don't like how that sounds. And so it's just going to be really an exercise of learning what Peter means, learning the context, understanding it. And ultimately for all of us, what it always comes down to is, am I going to choose to be obedient to what God and his word says? Cause I trust him and his way is best. Or am I going to kind of pick and choose what my Christian experience looks like based on what sounds good to me or not? Or, or based on what the culture is, the prevailing culture is telling us, right? Because today's episode title is Misinformation on the Family. Misinformation is one of those words that we're hearing a lot these days. It's hard to know what the truth is, whether you're talking about vaccines or masks or science or evolution or gender or you name it. There's, there's so much, depending on where you, where you are on the aisle, either politically or whatever, I, I think a lot of that determines then what you would label as misinformation. And so we're trying to be a little provocative with this title. We want to talk about misinformation on the family. We're going to give five bullet points that our culture t- says when it comes to family and relationships within the family. And then we're going to we're going to give you what the Bible says, specifically what First Peter chapter three says about those things. So are you guys ready for this? And Tracy, you're going to have to help us with this. Ross is, is, is our resident theologian, and Ross will do a good job giving some context. 
But Tracy, I do think your perspective is especially helpful because you're a strong, capable woman, and yet you're going to probably say some things that that some women listeners out there, depending on your perspective, might have a hard time swallowing. Yeah, and I just hope that, as I said before, that we all come to this with a humble heart, really looking to let God's word speak and to just be mindful that we're not bringing in our baggage or, like I said, kind of picking and choosing what we're going to say about X, Y, or Z. All right, so let's get started. Misinformation on the family. Number one, our culture says, I'm the boss of me. You're not my boss. I'm the boss of me. I can do whatever I want. And yet God's word says, and we're going to see this today in our scripture, God's word says that we should submit to authority. Now I want to read the passage and then let's have a little conversation about it. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure, your pure and reverent lives. Some women would just bristle at this. They would say, no way, I reject that. I'm going to throw that out. I don't think wives should accept the authority of husbands. Tracy, what do you say? Well, the first thing that I would say is that we have to look at the context. So we just we started in chapter one of Peter saying that we're just foreigners living in this land. And in chapter two, we learn about what Ross mentioned, how we're supposed to interface in this world as foreigners, as representatives of Jesus, and to be honorable in our words and our actions and in our submissive attitudes. So now we're coming into chapter three and Peter's bringing it into the family. What's God's view of structure for the family? And is my attitude of submission, as Peter was saying, was universal as Christians in a world that doesn't care about his opinion? Okay, so now looking in the home, how much more important it is for us to understand, well, what's God's design for how the family system should work and how submission to your husband, husbands to wives, what does that look like for God's sake, right? Now, Trace, before we talk a little bit about what it looks like in our marriage, we're going to share share about a conversation we had with our own kids a few years back on this. It might have actually been this verse that our daughter was reading, or maybe it was the, the Ephesians. It might have been Ephesians. Yeah. But... It was a verse like this that Ken, our daughter was reading when she was in high school, and she's like, whoa, what the heck? This doesn't seem right. She ran upstairs. I'll finish that story in a second. But before we do that, Ross, I think it's important for you to bring some context to this because not every Christian church necessarily views this the same way. I think it might be helpful to, to define some terms here, specifically what is an egalitarian and what is a complementarian. Yeah, those are terms that people use as shorthand for two approaches to this issue. And I, I might add that people who use those terms or approach those, they are all um, committed to the authority of Scripture, but they read Scripture a little bit differently. And so um, egalitarian view would say that um, men and women are equal, but they also there's no hierarchy of authority. The roles can be whatever they, they are for that relationship, whatever. Complementarians say that men and women are equal before God. We'll talk about that in a minute, mm -hmm. but that there's a certain hierarchy, a certain structure of leadership that God sets up for the sake of order and, and peace. And um, so those are the two perspectives um, that, that, that kind of come into play on this. Now, we're talking specifically about 
about family. We're not really talking about in First Peter about the role of women in leading the church or right. in other areas of life, whatever. This is specifically about family, but that larger issue is in the backdrop. And I, I do think those are, at least in my mind, those are connected. I'm, I am a complementarian, and so I recognize what I read when I read this, Ross, is that when it says wives must accept the authority of your husbands, from our point of view, husbands are the spiritual leaders in the home. They have a responsibility. God's going God's to hold them responsible for kind of the, the marriage, the family. Again, that doesn't mean that uh, that doesn't necessarily mean what I think some people might think that that means. I, th- I think maybe some would say, well, wait a second, that sounds really mean and rude, and so your marriage must be kind of a scary marriage. You know, you must really just be domineering uh, in your marriage. But that's not at all what it has to look like. In fact, that probably would be a third option, you know, but besides egalitarian and complementarian, there's probably a, a an option that's even further that's, that is more domineering, and, and we're not certainly advocating for that. But I think there are I know a lot of pastors in ministry who love Jesus. They love the Bible. They believe in the Bible, and they're yet they're egalitarian. They're not complementarian. But I think it's important to have some of those distinctions in your mind. Right, and I think as we approach this verse, I think it's important to keep three contexts in mind. Hmm. Okay, the first is the the context of this this passage itself. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he speaks to women to wives first. But part of the local context, he speaks to husbands in just a minute. And so we can't separate what he says to wives from what he says to husbands. Those, have to, those are two parts of one whole, and so those have to be taken into account. When a woman, we talk to a wife about submission, she also understands that we're talking to her husband about you know, his appropriate behavior too. The second context is the context of the rest of the New Testament, because uh, not only the context of gender roles... But there's this whole idea in the New Testament um, about authority, that we all live under authority. We're all called to submit to authority. Now, even using the word authority, I recognize that has negative baggage for a lot of people. Let's, let's put it a different way. We're all called to work on a team, so to speak, and the team has a captain. Mm. Okay, so in, the, in marriage, the team has a captain. That's the guy, the husband. In, a, in the life of the church, in whatever other sphere, whether it's gender roles or not, we're, we saw um, last week that we're called to live under the authority of the governing bodies. Mm. Even though they're not perfect, even though they may mess up, may not have our best interest in, in mind, God has constituted authority in the universe in order to for people, I think, ultimately to thrive. So that's a larger context, is that this idea of authority, that everyone's under authority, and ultimately all authority is under the authority of, of Jesus and God the Father. And then the third context is the historical context. And so when, when people hear about submit, then it's easy to think about that in terms of the negative history of patriarchalism in our society, that really isn't biblical. It's not a biblical patriarchalism, but we think about in American culture in the, 18, in the 1800s where women had, didn't have the right to vote. Why? Well, that's, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. That was maybe a, a more toxic form of patriarchy. And so we have to realize there's a historical culture that informs how people think about um, leadership and think about authority and why I think women rightly should reject a lot of the things that in our cultural history 
have been thought of as Christian, but they're not really biblical. Yeah, and we're going to get into some of that here as we continue today. We're going to really stir it up. So again, I encourage people who are listening to this to talk about it with your spouse, talk about it with your family, with your kids, talk about it with your small group. And we have resources at PursueGod.org forward slash one Peter. We're in lesson three of five. And Ross, I like what you say in the article that people can find there. You say the word submission means to voluntarily arrange yourself under another, and that means it's not about who is superior or inferior, but it's simply an arrangement to bring order to family life. So rather than seeking autonomy from her husband, a wife should seek to be a team player in support of his leadership. So Tracy, let's pull the curtain back a little bit on our marriage, on our relationship. You're a very strong woman, a very, not phys, not just physically, <laughs> but I could out, I think I, I think I could outbench you, but I do think you're just very strong. You've got opinions. You're, you're a leader in your own right. And yet you, would you say that you submit to my authority in the home? And what does that look like if so? Yeah. And again, I think like what Ross said, I really want women to hear me say this, that in the context of the whole of Scripture and in the New Testament and how the rules were kind of rewritten of how Jesus, how through Jesus, it's not, as Paul says in Galatians 3, that it's no longer about, you know, free or slave or male or female, we're all one in Christ, that the pervasive thing here is not to just key in on a word like submission and assume, okay, that just means that God thinks women are inferior and men are superior, but to look at it from the heart that it's not about like what the definition that we have for submission. It's not about being inferior. I don't feel inferior to you. I feel like I am a special creation of God in my own right, that he has equipped me with special giftings that I use for his body and for our family. And so when you and I came together, I came from a place of strength of recognizing I don't need, in order to be viewed as strong or relevant or important, I need to try and take a role that maybe God didn't design for me to need to take. Because I come into our family and our marriage adding value in who I am as a woman and as your teammate, and that we, we work together for the sake of our family unit. So, what, But what does that look like? Again, I, I think it's good for people to hear this, because when Kenzie came upstairs, I still, I'll never forget this, when she came upstairs and, and was, it was almost like a crisis of faith for her. She said, did you know this was in the Bible? And we said, well, yeah. And, and she said, well, but it says that the husband is the head of the wife. You don't believe that, do you? And it was, it really was interesting for her to hear you say, well, yeah, I do. And so you could tell Kenzie then had to, and maybe this is the experience some listeners have right now, is they had to say, okay, well, wait a second, then maybe we're not talking about the same thing. I think in her mind, and part of this is because of the culture that we live in, and I, th I think the culture gaslights women in this area. I think the culture that we live in says, no, you, you, there is no such thing as complementarian, and that, that, that couldn't possibly work. Everyone, there's no difference between men and women, all this kind of stuff, right? There's no difference between husband and wife. And yet God's word at many different points clearly says that it is. So what Kenzie had to come to grips with was what that actually meant versus maybe what she was projecting on a statement like that. Right, because if God is good and God created male and female and God created the institution of marriage, 
then it isn't for one person to be ruled over. Is that the model of what Jesus did when he came and emptied himself of his of, of his godness in that way to come and walk among us. He was a servant. And he says to us, those that follow me have come to serve. So if a wife understands, okay, I have a certain role to play. And like Ross said, we're going to get to husbands here in a minute. It's not like all the, all the pressures on the woman to just kowtow and just, you know, bow at the foot of your husband, no matter what. God has plenty to say to men. But in our relationship, in our marriage, why I think that was confusing for Kenzie is because she doesn't see domineering in our home. Right. She sees actually that I'm probably more the decision maker in our family when it comes to a lot of things in our family. What I had to explain to her is, but Kenzie, in relationship to, to your dad, I view his role that I believe is in scripture is that he's the spiritual leader in the home, but his call as the leader is to be the servant, to give up his his rights for, for my benefit and then for yours. So under that kind of leadership, that's not, I don't need to try to take that role from mm-hmm. dad. I come alongside dad and say, how do I help you to be the best leader for our home that you can? Because I have a different read on the needs of our kids. I have a different pulse on things in the home and that you're teachable and you take that. And in, and in a lot of situations, I think our kids would say, I feel like mom's more the decision maker in the home. Right. But there have been maybe one or two decisions that we've made in our life, usually around finances, where we maybe came out on different sides of the equation. I felt strongly on this. You felt strongly in that. And in this situation, this is what I feel like God's talking about in how he sets up the order that we're not all vying for the same thing, that I said, I trust you as the leader in our home. And I'm going to go with whatever decision. You heard my opinion, and I'm going to trust that you're going to make the right decision for our family. So that's how that works in our relationship. And Mm -hmm. I think once we were able to kind of get Ken's to slow down and not just react to the word submission or come under the authority of your husband to understand what that really means and how there has to be some level of order to things. Mm -hmm. We can't all be vying to be the boss, right? Well, yeah. And my, my prayer, my heart for my daughter, for our daughter, is that she has a godly man who will be her spiritual leader in, in the biblical sense of that, that, that it's a godly man who loves her like Christ loved the church. And my hope then is when she meets that guy, she's like, okay, I get it. I understand now what Peter's talking about. This is, this is the right picture for the home. It's not about domineering at all. It's just the right picture for the home. Now we'll talk more about that here in our third and fourth points, but actually as we continue to read 1 Peter, the second thing that again is still relevant today. I love that about this whole this whole letter to that Peter wrote is that it's still relevant 2000 years later. The second thing that we're going to learn is that the misinformation that our culture gives us is that beauty is skin deep. There's so much emphasis on physical appearance and beauty and all that stuff, I think probably more than ever before, thanks to social media. And yet God's word says, and this is very clear from God's word, God's word says beauty comes from within. First Peter 3 verses 3 and 4, it says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. And so Tracy, again, some women today might be reading this and maybe even men might read this and say, that is so offensive that Peter would say something like that about women, that, that they can't wear jewelry, 
that they can't have fancy hairstyles. Well, I don't think that's exactly what Peter's saying there. I think what he's he's saying that what is the more valuable thing is what God created you to be as a woman. That's not about the outward adornment. And to me, really, I could get on a soapbox about this because I feel like in our culture, it's so funny, the hypocrisy of how people culturally would make fun of Christian women for maybe being a little bit more modest in the way they dress. But yet you think that objectifying yourself and being scantily clad and putting yourself out there as a sex object is somehow more empowering for women. I just, that drives me crazy. To me, I'm going to go with what Peter says, because that's what's speaking to the value of who women are, that I have an intellect, I have emotions, I can be a leader and make a difference in the world. And it doesn't have to be because I'm just a a pretty thing to look at. And I think that's what Peter's speaking to here. And again, for women to just to be encouraged that God's heart for you as a woman is not to hold you down and make you feel like you're some inferior being. It's empowering to think about what God has. His idea of women is empowering. Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, again, he's not prohibiting um, adornment. You know, there's some Christians on the, on, the, on the one end of the spectrum would say, no, women should never wear makeup. <clears throat> he's not saying that, but he's saying that, that there's something greater, right? Something about the, the common denominator of the things that he mentions there uh, seem to be like the issue becomes, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, and so it's it's buying into a culture that has very a very shallow, like Tracy was saying, very shallow regard for women. If this is all you think that women are worth, then um, you know that's really selling women short. Yeah, and I like what the article again says, and you you can find this on the series page at pursuegod.org. Uh, Ross, you did a good job with this article. You write, "Looking your best is not wrong, but the culture's ideal of beauty is often crushing." For ordinary women. And I, and I think that's so true. I think so many women have such a, I don't think they even necessarily realize it, how much our culture, which is, it's really ironic, Tracy, uh, how they're trying to do these two things. And yet our culture is crushing women because we've put so much, our culture puts so much value on how you look, right? There's beauty filters now uh, on these apps. And I think they're talking about maybe even outlawing beauty filters because it's so messing with young women in particular, their their, sel- their self-esteem, their sense of identity. Yeah. And I think when we, again, that spirit of what I think Peter's speaking to there, which if I believe in his day, people that could have the fancy hairstyles and the big jewelry were were women of wealth. And so it was kind of a statement of, hey, I'm important, so look at me. And so what I want to say is, Ladies, don't don't buy into that lie of being consumed with how you look and that that's going to what that's what brings value to you outside because that's an inward selfish focus that keeps us from being used by God for the things he wants to do because we're we're so caught up in our own insecurities that we can't even see the people that need us and the way we can be fulfilling roles and making a difference in the world by being outward focused and not being so consumed by the beauty thing. Okay, now as we continue then to read chapter three, we get to a third piece of misinformation on the family. And Ross, maybe you can speak to this before we talk about what the Bible says. And here's the piece of misinformation that I think today many people are confused by. Our culture says patriarchy is evil. 
What does that mean, Ross? Well, it's interesting. I think our culture has two kind of threads that run through it. One of them that says patriarchy is evil, as I'll mention that in a minute, but the other one that says um, that acts out as if patriarchy and domineering male authority was the way it ought to be. So I think probably women are the one who are more saying patriarchy is evil, <laughs> yeah. and it's the men who are saying, no, get in your place. You know, mm. but so in, in our culture, because patriarchy, so patriarchy means rule by men. Um, and so we're saying that the family, the men, are, male, men are leaders in the family, called to be leaders in the family. But because I think historically patriarchy has been abused by sinful human beings, and men have, have actually in our culture used patriarchy to subject women, to oppress, uh, you know, that, that, that's where patriarchy gets a bad name. And in that kind of patriarchy, I, in my opinion, it should have a bad name, that, that mm-hmm. patriarchy should never be toxic. Um, and there's been problems in that regard. But on the other, on the other side, um, then there's there's all a lot of men who want to say, well, no, this is I'm in, I'm in charge. I you got to do what I say. I, if you know, there's plenty of men who um, abuse and, and hit their wives, even in churches. You know, so so there's a there's a negative thing in the culture that we're that we're working against to say that's not what we mean. And men, so we're speaking to men now, need to say, look, embrace your leadership in, in a way that's really different from the way the culture has thought of patriarchy. Yeah, and so the culture says patriarchy is evil, and but we're not going to say that the Bible says patriarchy is good, because it's not always good, Ross, because some... Some, like you said, some men have definitely abused their authority. So what the Bible does say, though, is that godly men exist, which is kind of the same as saying patriarchy doesn't have to be evil, right? right? right. And it says in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. And we see verses like that all over the place, but I think a lot of people skip over verses like that because either on the one hand they don't they're evil men who want to domineer, or on the other hand they're women who just aren't don't want to hear it. They don't even want to leave leave that possibility open that godly men do exist, but they do. Yeah, and I think that that's again I think that's where I mean, man, if that's not how I'm just trying to approach scripture in every way is like what. What's God's heart? What's God's truth speaking? And how much am I conflating that with my understanding of what culture has told me or other opinions out there? And I think that to, to be able to even think about what we mean by patriarchy or, or that, you know, all men are bad. Like, no, not all men are bad. But we, we have messed up what God's original design was through our own sinfulness. So what we're trying to do is let's reclaim... <laughs> what God's word says and what his intention is for how order and how roles look in even the family life and not not infuse it with our own negativity or assumptions about what that means from what our experience has told us, but rather let's let's get back to how do we honor God in the way we live it out in the family life. Wives, what how you play a part in that. Men, husbands, how you're playing your role. That's what God wants from us. Yeah, that's good. All right. So misinformation on the family, number one, I'm the boss of me. Number two, beauty is skin deep. Number three, patriarchy is evil. And then number four, and again, we're just kind of following along with Peter's uh, 
line of thinking in First Peter 3, the fourth thing then, misinformation in the family, is that men and women are the same, right? That our culture now more than ever before is saying there's really no difference. In fact, our culture is even saying, let, let your kid, when your kid is born, let them pick their gender. We can do a whole nother podcast on that. But, but basically our culture says, this is great misinformation, that men and women are the same. And what the Bible says is that men and women are equal. Now, Ross, explain that because that sounds like the same thing probably to some of our listeners. Well, there's nuances. There's layers of nuance here. Um, you know, every people really understand that women, men and women aren't the same, at least in physical characteristics, right? Um, there's other ways, too, that men and women are different. They're wired differently. And so it's the idea of gender. And, and you know, so the, the Bible is treating gender as if it's a significant factor in who we are, that we're created men or we're created women. And so gender is not simply a cultural construct. There are elements of gender that are defined by the culture, uh, that, that men are supposed to do certain things and women are supposed to do certain things that are culturally dis- defined. But, but biblically, the idea of genders, men and women, are distinct, and there are some important and significant differences. But in our standing before God, in the things that really matter, in our value to God, in the uh, experience of God's grace, all of God's promises, all of God's blessing, men and women are completely equal before God. Yeah, 1 Peter 3, 7 says, She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. So she, you know, Peter's acknowledging she's weaker. It's talking about physical. It's not talking about any other thing, not morally weaker or anything. It's just you're, she's physically weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. So it's, you know, Peter's saying there, there is a difference there is a difference between man and woman. Gender is a thing. It's not just a social construct. Gender is a thing. And so he's acknowledging that. But what he's saying is, but in God, which is really a radical statement, but in God's eyes, she is your equal partner in God's gift. That was a pretty radical thing to say 2,000 years ago. And again, I think the liberal culture might look at this and throw it out because they're saying, well, you're saying that women are weaker than men, and you're, you're missing the point. I think obviously women are weaker generally, right? We've been watching the Olympics and it's you watch a men's event and watch a women's event and there's there's a clear difference in, you know, the top athletes in the world. Now, most of those women's women could could do more than I could do if I was doing like a, you know, slope a snowboard jump or something like that, but the best men in the w- world, the best women in the world, there's a reason we have different categories. For men and women, when it comes to gender, which makes me think, Tracy, about this new this story. About, is it in, was it Yale or Harvard? Where no, was Penn? Penn, Penn State. No, not Penn. University of Penn. Okay, Pennsylvania. Right, and this this person who is transgender, right? This he's he was born a man, and he he he's swimming as a woman, and if I understand it right, he's breaking all these records. Yes, yes. This, he he was a male swimmer on the Penn team, yeah. and then he transitioned and is becoming a woman. Yeah. So we're talking about a she now. But in her physiological, everything about, you know, that's one of the things that I've heard, like in swimming, they, everything's completely equal. Like they're very, very good about like, you know, the lane lines. Everything is is totally equal when you compete. But so when you bring a man's strength into a female pool of competitors like he's 
he's he's breaking records and like the time difference is, is huge. So women, so it's just putting women at a disadvantage in the in the strength because men are just more physically stronger. He has a longer wingspan. He has fast twitch muscles. There's things that just right. the male body type has that women don't. Right. So it doesn't make it fair. Well, and again, I, I, I just think it's so interesting in our cult that our culture is going to have to try to figure this out. Because our culture, they have no basis for, they've lost all connection to reality. So now I think, honestly, I think the NCAA and these schools, I'm sure they're all trying to say, I don't really know. I don't want to get canceled for saying, no, you can't swim as a woman. But he, this you know, biological man identifies as a woman. And so it's, it's just creating all this confusion. I think this is, we're just starting to skim the surface. I think there's going to be so much more. But that's, I think, the point. Right. I think that's the point that at some, at some point, as culture continues down a certain road where it's about emptying us of things that would be identify in any way, shape, or form, even down to gender, it just creates chaos. And I guess for me, maybe I'm a simple-minded person, but I believe in the God of the universe. And I believe that the Bible is true. And so I believe that when God shows us structure and form and differences, that I'm going to take that to be like, okay, that's God's best. So then as culture moves away from that, I'm going to come back to what God's original design was. Now we've, 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 um, created some confusion, like we said earlier about patriarchy and there, there are men that have done bad things out there, but that doesn't mean God's design for men and women was bad. It means through sin, we've tainted that, we've changed that, we've made that into something that's negative. But I'm going to come back to God has structure in all forms. And so even within the family, that ladies, it's okay that we can say men, men physically are stronger. I don't think that needs to be a controversial statement. That doesn't mean, though, that takes away who our dignity or our value at all. It's just we're different. I want to celebrate the fact that I'm not like you. I Mm -hmm. think women are a heck of a lot better in a lot of ways than men. I think that's the way God designed it, that when men and women come together in oneness and marriage, we're better together because we're both bringing things of value to that relationship. Yeah, I think it's important to not try to be something that you are not. I think it's creating so much angst for our young people, really for anybody. Just there's so much confusion about what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a man. Acknowledge, this kind of goes back to the submitting to authority. Acknowledge that God made you a woman or a man, and then embrace what that means. Embrace, that doesn't mean exactly the same thing for every human being, because, you know, there, Tracy, you have some gifts that are not just necessarily feminine gifts that you bring to the table for us. We laugh about this all the time. Our kids, we talk about this kind of thing all the time, how we're all wired differently and we're embracing, we're embracing what that means. But there are some, there's some just, non-negotiables, I believe, that God's Word says. There are some non-negotiables when it comes to things like gender, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't try to play God in some of those areas. So the, the problem with all of this, and Ross, this kind of leads to the last point here, and the, the culture says, and this is misinformation, but the culture says Christians are divided because I think there are a, there's a lot of division, not just in our culture at large, but there's division in even in some of our churches. There's a lot of division and dissension when it comes to this, which is why we wanted to do this culture war series to try to help Christians to think biblically about this so that we can all be be united, right? Which is which is really what the Bible says is that we should unite, that Christians should unite around 
some of these difficult topics. So 1 Peter 3.8 says this, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Man, wouldn't that be great if all Christians were of one mind? He says, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. Yeah, you look at our culture today, again, we're talking about the clash between Christian beliefs and values and our culture's beliefs and values. And you look at our culture, you, you can see how divided the culture is over everything, politically, et, et cetera. And so it's, if we're Christians, it's easy for us to say, okay, well, we're just going to be shaped by the culture, so we're going to be divided about all the same things that the culture's divided about. So the church becomes like a little mirror image of the culture around us. And, um, and, and that's nuts. But the culture does look at the church, and they see that, a lot of that division. And they see, okay, well, that just, that's what Christianity is all about. It's just people who can't get along. Um, and, and that's true between different denominations. It's true, like you said, Brian, within a, a given church even. And so he's calling us to something greater, something that the culture is not really able to experience. It, it can only materialize in the church because of the role of the Holy Spirit and of our common identity in Christ. Yeah, so verse 8, it's kind of, I love that we're ending on this point because it's it's almost like marching orders for the family, for the marriage, for your mentoring relationship, for your small group. When you're sitting down as a small group to talk about this, and you might, you, it's very likely that you're going to have people who all love Jesus, who fall maybe a little bit on different sides of this of some of these points, and I love, I'm going to read it again. I love what Peter says. Think about this, even when you're thinking about talking about this topic right here, but then apply it to everything. Be of one mind, sympathize, love, be tenderhearted, be humble. To me, these are relational tips, Tracy, for how to learn, how to listen to someone, do active listening, those, this, those kinds of things when we're talking about hard topics. Yeah, and I think that, here's the thing, we could all have it a little bit wrong. I think that's where the humble heart, being tenderhearted, really listening to somebody else's perspective. If my attitude is to come to the Bible, because there's a lot of people that have studied the Bible <laughs> a heck of a lot more than me. And I, I mean, I've been doing a lot of study on just women's roles in the church and where their gifting should or shouldn't be exercised. And I'm wrestling with that issue right now, but I'm recognizing that there's two camps of people that equally love Jesus and are going to the word and trying to understand what it says, how much of it was context for the time, is it true for today, whatever, and wrestling with that. But recognizing at the end of the day, we can disagree on some of the way those things present themselves, but we can still be united in Christ. In fact, isn't that what Peter calls us to, is, is that we should be representatives of who Jesus is. And so if we're infighting, if we're picking on each other, if we're saying, if you believe that or come on that side of the issue, then you're, you're terrible. You shouldn't even be consider yourself a Christian, like to be humble and tender and listen to each other because we might have our mind changed because maybe, maybe we don't have it exactly right. Right. Yeah. So go, going back to the complementarian and the egalitarian, maybe, maybe some people are going to be sitting in a small group this week talking about this and they're going to find out, maybe they didn't even know those names existed before. But they're going to say, well, I think actually I'm a complementarian. And then sitting across from them, someone's going to say, I actually think I'm an egalitarian. Or maybe worse yet, a husband and wife might, <laughs> might fall on different sides of that. And so, you know, Ross, what would you pastorally say to those people as they work through 
their thinking on some of these topics. Right. Well, he says in, in this verse 8, he says to be like-minded or to have unity, be of one mind, he said. That, that doesn't mean that we agree about everything. And Tracy touched on that. It doesn't mean that we have to be in lockstep or clones of, every, of each other, but, it, but what forms the unity of thinking, to be like-minded, is to prioritize what matters the most. And so basically that happens when our lens for looking at and thinking about everything is Jesus. And, and so we have this common identity that's greater than our divisions. We have this common experience of salvation and belonging to, to Christ and what He's done for us. That's greater than our differences. And the problem becomes when we maximize the areas where we disagree and, and don't maximize this foundational basis for really why we're one. And so it really comes back to saying, wait, wait, do you guys agree on um, that Jesus died on the cross for you and that and that he rose from the dead and that, that you belong to him eternally? Yeah, we agree on that. Well, then that should be the main thing that supersedes the things that we might disagree on. Yeah, and I would add one more thing to that on this particular topic. Do we all can we all agree that God's word is authoritative? Can we all agree that we should we shouldn't come to God's word and say, well, I'll, I'll take and leave what I want to take and leave. And we should come to God's word and say, wow, I, I've never read that verse before. I'm going to have to wrestle with it. And I want to understand it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that I'm going to throw it out if I want to throw it out. Right. And this is what we've even tried to do over the years, Tracy, with some of these verses is we want to really be submitted to God's word, but we're not going to let our culture have the final word. God's word gets to have the final word. So if you're listening to this and some of this rubs you the wrong way, some of it doesn't ring true to you, be honest with yourself and recognize it could be because the culture has had more sway in your thinking than God's word has had. And to me, there's great unity in saying, look, whatever happens, I want to, this is what we tell our kids, come to God's word and wrestle with God's word because God has authority. You don't have authority. You're not the boss of you, right? God should be a, the your your truest authority, not your culture or your opinions or your feelings. And so the culture says, I'm the boss of me, but the Bible says, submit to the author to authority. The culture says beauty is skin deep, but the Bible says beauty comes from within. The culture says patriarchy is evil, but the Bible says godly men exist. The culture says men and women are the same. The Bible says men and women are equal. The culture says Christians are divided, but the Bible says Christians unite. So Tracy Ross, thanks for having this conversation. And for those of you who want to dig into this a little bit more with your family, with your small group or your mentor, you can find these resources for the Culture War series at pursuegod.org forward slash one Peter. And we'll see you here next week.